Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel record of John. The Gospel record of John and chapter number 13. The Gospel record of John and chapter number 13. We're starting a brand new series dealing with what is properly called the Upper Room Discourse, but it is dealing with the last night of Jesus Christ before he goes to the cross. That before he goes to the cross, Jesus Christ separates himself from the masses. He separates himself from the crowds and he takes his disciples and pulls them close to him. And what he does is he spends the next several hours talking with the disciples to prepare them for the changes that are up ahead. After all, having Jesus Christ dying on the cross and removing him from you, that's a big change. But Jesus Christ is not going to stay dead. He's going to rise again the third day and he's going to ascend to heaven and Jesus Christ after that time is going to be in heaven and they're going to have to learn to operate without Jesus Christ physically being with them. And so what we do is in this series this is a very intimate time. Last words are very important. If you have a loved one that you were there in his last days, you may remember the conversations you had. You might remember some of the words of wisdom they may have tried to impart. Last words are very important. And Jesus, knowing the end, knows that this is his last time to spend with his disciples. And he's trying to use this time as wisely as possible to invest, to encourage the disciples at this time. And so if you don't mind, take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel record of John chapter 13. The Gospel record of John chapter 13, and we're going to pick it up starting at verse number 4. John chapter 13 and verse number 4, the Word of God says this, He riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash not thou, <coughs> or wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, ye are not all clean. So after that he had washed their feet and taken their, his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done unto you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for, I am, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye ought to wash one another's feet. 
For I have given you an example that ye shall do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Speak not of all of you all, I know whom I've chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me and hath lifted his heel against me. Now I tell you before it came that when it is come to pass that ye might believe that I am he. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me. And he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent him. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the gospel record of John chapter number 13? The gospel record of John chapter 13. And notice with me a phrase in verse number 12. John 13 verse 12. Notice the phrase, Know ye what I have done to you. Know ye what I have done to you. And with the Lord's help, I'd like to preach a message with that title here from this passage. Know ye what I have done to you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you and as we open up your word, as you taught the disciples, we're asking that you would teach us through your precious word, that you recorded this for our learning, for our benefit, that we could learn the same things that you were trying to teach your disciples during that time. And I'm asking because of that, that your Holy Spirit would be involved, that you would open up our eyes and that you would give us spiritual eyes to see, that you would open up our understanding, that we could understand what you're getting across and that you would just open us up, that we'd be willing to receive those things that you teach us. Again, I'm trusting you and your Holy Spirit because I don't have words to say. The eloquence or the manner of my speech doesn't convince anybody. I'm asking that it's your Holy Spirit that does all the work. So because of that, the best I know how, I surrender myself to you and reckon myself dead. And ask that you fill me with your precious spirit for the purpose that you would get your word accomplished. And that your work would go forth. And we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now what has happened previously is that because Jesus Christ knows he's going to go on the cross, it happens to be on the same time as the feast of the Passover that he has pulled his disciples aside and they've already observed the Passover meal. This last meal that he had with them is often called the Last Supper. And it was just an intimate time with him and his disciples as he's preparing to spend time with them. Now his disciples have been arguing back and forth about who is the greatest and they don't have a discernment about what's about to happen. They've been thinking the same old, same old. In fact, this last week has just been an interesting week that the uh, one week before this or several days before this in the same week that the disciples watched Jesus Christ pick a cult that had never been ridden, rode it into Jerusalem, and the whole town is celebrating, seeing Hosanna, seeing, this is the king, this is the king. And they're going, wow, this is amazing. But what's happening in the background is that the, the chief priest had been stirring things up and they're looking for a reason to kill Jesus Christ. That things are about to radically change. Now Jesus Christ, who is God, knew these things were about to happen and knew that it was going to happen 
in a few short hours. So he takes his disciples and he has to start off with an object lesson to grab their attention right away. That Jesus does something very unusual in their sight, something very unusual in their mind. And this is going to stay with them and it is going to prepare them to be ready to receive the rest of the teaching through John 13, 14, 15, 16, and then Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17. And so these chapters are going to cover the last night of Jesus Christ, but it starts off with an object lesson. It starts off with a physical illustration, and when he's teaching this, he does say, he gives them a quiz afterwards, do you know what I did to you? Now, he tells Peter at the very beginning that you're not going to know what I do to you, but you will later. And so here he's taking time to teach the disciples some things that they may not currently know or able to understand. But later they'll be able to look back and say, I see it now. I see it now. And so if you don't mind, there are three specific things in John chapter 13 in this passage that Jesus Christ is attempting to teach the disciples. The very first thing he does is he tries to teach them on sanctification. Teach them on sanctification. Now the word sanctification is a big word, but we'll describe it here in just a second. But he starts off with teaching about sanctification. Notice with me in verse number 4. He, that's Jesus, riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. So what Jesus Christ does is that he rises up from the supper as soon as they're done with it. And he takes aside his garment. Now this garment's a very important garment. It's mentioned in prediction in Psalm 22. This is the same garment that is set aside. It's a very special made garment that would identify him as a teacher, as a rabbi. That just looking at his clothes, you would say he was a teacher. So what he does is he takes this off. Basically, if you want to put it in today's vernacular and try to think. He took off his suit. He took off his shirt took off his jacket, took off his tie, and he sets it aside. Now, we understand we're, we're correlating it today, but it's that same illustration. He takes off what he is wearing, and he puts it aside. And he takes a servant's garment, and he puts it on. You know, he doesn't want to get his garments wet and ruined, but he puts on a servant's garment. Then he takes a towel and puts it over in your mind's eye. Then, in verse number 5, after that, he poureth water into a basin. So he takes a little portable basin, and he takes some water and pours it inside of it. And his disciples are watching this. I mean, interesting. Jesus gets up, doesn't say a word, just gets up, and they watch him take off his garments. They, he puts on a servant's garments, then he goes over, takes a basin, pours water into it. That makes him pretty curious. What's going on here? This is a little bit different. And he goes over and takes the, the basin, and he begins to wash the disciples' feet, to wipe them with the towel wherein he was girded. Now, back then, a lot of people wore sandals, and it, because of the road and the conditions, it wasn't nice pavement, it wasn't uh, sidewalk, it was a lot of dusty trails. And so people's feet would often get dirty. And usually what would happen whenever they would walk into a person's house, the lowest servant would come and wash the person's feet before they walked into the house. However, that didn't happen during this upper room uh, time of, of the disciples. And so Jesus takes time, humbles himself down. Now again, imagine the first disciple. Who, we don't know who it is, but let's just say that he goes to John himself. John, let me see your feet. Okay, 
puts out his feet. And Jesus takes the towel and begins to wash the grime and the dirt off of John's feet. Then he goes to the next one. Maybe it's James and begins to wash his feet. Now the rest of the disciples are watching this. And it's probably a little bit uncomfortable to them because this is their master. This is the one that people were just saying a couple days ago. He's the king. And he's washing the feet. And they're getting kind of uncomfortable. But the first couple guys didn't say anything. Maybe he goes next and he washes Andrew's feet. Begins to wash it. But now he comes up as he's going through. In verse number 6. Then he cometh to Simon Peter. And Peter said, saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? So let's say he gets through washing Andrew's feet. He goes up and says, all right, Peter, let me see your feet. And Peter cuts him, uh, gets him beforehand. You going to wash my feet? Now, Jesus uses this as someone finally said something. And of course, if there's going to be one of the disciples that say something, it's going to be Peter. And so Peter gets up and says, you washing my feet? And Jesus in verse 7, notice this. Jesus answered and said unto him, what I do thou knowest not, but thou shalt know hereafter. So Jesus acknowledges that they have confusion. And he admits and tells them, you're not going to understand what I'm doing right now. But you will understand. Do you know that there's sometimes in our spiritual life that we don't understand what Jesus is doing? Does that mean that Jesus doesn't know what he's doing? He's going crazy? No. Jesus knows what he's doing. Is there something in the realm of possibility that Jesus knows something that we don't? Is there something in the realm of possibility that perhaps there are some things that we don't understand yet, but he's trying to teach us? And so that's what he's doing with Peter, is he's saying, I'm going to teach you something, and you're not going to understand it right now, but you will later. Let me finish teaching. Well, Peter, we already acknowledges, he does not know what's happening. And because of that, his pride gets up because um, he thinks he knows better. He thinks he knows what's right. And his, <coughs> excuse me, his pride leads to rebellion. Notice with me in verse number 8. Peter saith unto him, thou shalt never wash my feet. Now he's not trying to be mean, but his rebellion comes out. You are not wash my feet. No, I, you're, you're the master. I don't want you to wash my feet. Now, Jesus just told him you're not going to understand. Now it's being proven by his actions. You're not going to wash my feet. You're the master. You should not wash my feet. Jesus, lovingly, aren't you glad he's so lovingly? He says, if I wash thee not, thou hast no part in me. Once again, because Peter does not have an understanding what's going on, Jesus gave him uh, an answer. But because he does not understand what's going on, his pride is still involved. What happens is that he responds the other way. All right, fine. If I have no part of you, wash my hands, wash my feet, wash me all. Jesus says, no, no. He says in verse 10, uh, verse 9, let's get Peter's response. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith unto him, he that it, uh, that it is that uh, he that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is cleaned every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. Now, let's just cover Peter right now. Peter Jesus said, you're not going to understand what's going on. So Peter doesn't know what's going on. But Peter, out of his pride, because he thinks he may know, 
is sparked a rebellion. And because of his rebellion, he just told his Savior what his Savior can and cannot do. Then he followed up that he told his Savior how to do it. Pride and rebellion. His pride led to rebellion, and the rebellion led him to buck his authority. Jesus is washing his feet. No, you're not going to wash my feet. And then when Peter, uh, Jesus said, no, I have to. You don't understand now, but let me get this across. You'll understand it later. Well, fine, wash my hands, wash my head. No, that's what's not needed. That's not what's needed. You know, Jesus is trying to teach something called sanctification. The word sanctification is a big word that deals with the idea of our salvation and the view of our salvation. In the Bible it describes that there are three tenses of salvation. The moment that you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are considered sanctified. Meaning, in God's eyes, you are considered not only sinless, but as if you were never a sinner. That is the past tense. In the present tense, we are being saved from the power of sin. The past, we were saved from the penalty of sin. Now we're being saved from the power of sin. That once you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you do not have to sin. Anytime a Christian sins after salvation, it is because they chose to sin. But what God is working to do is trying to make us sin less. Meaning sinning less and less and less. He's trying to make us perfect. Trying to make us spiritually mature. We are in the process of sanctification. That he is working in us. So we would sin less and less and less. Then in the future. We have. We understand that we will be sanctified. That when Jesus Christ comes back as king. We'll be saved from the presence of sin. Meaning that our brand new redeemed bodies will not be able to sin. Does that make sense? So what Jesus is teaching is that first of all, you have to be washed once as a spiritual illustration. What do I mean by that? Well, the Bible says that because of our sin, now what's a sin? It's any time we've disobeyed God's word. For example, in the Ten Commandments, it says, thou shall not bear false witness. We would summarize it and say, don't tell lies. How many of you have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. If you didn't raise your hand, you're a liar because we've all told lies. The Bible says as another Ten Commandment is that because to honor thy father and thy mother. If you've ever disobeyed your folks, raise your hand. We all have. Well, because we've broken God's law, the Bible says we have sinned. And because we have sinned, we are sinners. So we are sinners. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. A wage is something we earn. For example, when we go to work, we say that we earn money. You go to work because you worked a certain amount of time, you receive this much money. That is a wage or a payment. Well, the Bible says for the wages of sin is death. That because we have sinned, we deserve to die. We deserve to be separated from God for all of eternity. We deserve to go to an awful place called hell. But the good news is, is that God didn't want to see a single person go to that awful place called hell. So we finished off the verse in Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You understand that salvation comes because we are sinners. We deserve to go to hell. 
But Jesus is our only option. And when we receive him and that free gift that he offered us, he washes us white as snow. The Bible talks about in Isaiah that though our sins be as scarlet, he has washed us white as snow. And that once you are washed in the blood of the Lamb, you'll never have to be washed all over anymore. It's a once and only once thing. Now, that's in the past. We've been washed and we'll no longer need to be washed again. However, we live in this old sinful world. That when you get saved, guess what? You don't get rid of your sin nature. You have two natures fighting inside of you. You got the spirit inside of you who wants to do what's right. And you got this nasty, awful, rotten flesh that wants to sin. And even though we're saved from the power of sin, we still choose to sin and we get dirty. And so instead of being washed all over, all that needs to be washed is our feet symbolically as we're talking about this, that we need to wash our feet from time to time to get rid of the filth that we walk through. That's why the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, you are he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Amen. That you need to wash your feet. That's what he's teaching the disciples. He says, you're clean already. You've been washed and you've been clean already. Now you just have to wash your feet. Keep your feet clean. That when you sin, confess your sin. And he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That he's teaching the disciples here this principle of sanctification. That they are saved because of the blood of the lamb. But they still need to keep short accounts and keep their fellowship right with God. We understand there's a difference between relationship and fellowship. For example, that we have uh, parents and kids here. Let's say that a child does something wrong. Is that child still a ch their child, the parent? Is mom still their mom? Yes. There's nothing you could do to sever that relationship. However, if a child went up to dad and said, dad, and then smacked him in the face, would their fellowship be broken right then? Yes, it would. And so even though our relationship is secured, we have to keep our fellowship right with God. And sin is what divides our fellowship. It keeps us away from God. So Jesus saved us from the penalty of sin. He has also given us freedom from the power of sin that we have to keep short accounts. We have to work on making sure that we're right with God by symbolically, as we're teaching here, washing your feet. That you're clean all over, but we have to keep that sin off. Wash your feet. And so this is a principle that he's teaching of sanctification. He's teaching them this principle here that you are saved, but guess what? You still have to keep short accounts. There's times you have to wash your feet. Now remember, Jesus Christ is going to die on the cross the next day. This is his last time to teach the disciples. And he's trying to teach them a principle. Wash your feet. Wash your feet. Keep clean. Keep short accounts right with God. That you need to be saved just once. But after that, keep short accounts. Keep right with God. Keep right with God. Keep right with God. Now, an interesting side note in this idea of sanctification. Notice with me in verse 10 again. In verse number 10, <laughs> what we see in John 13, verse 10, Jesus say, saith unto him, He that is to be washed needeth not save to wash his feet but is clean every whit. Meaning that because you've been washing the blood, you've been clean every whit. You just have to wash your feet now. And ye are clean. But notice this phrase. He puts this qualifier, but not all. 
He explains it in verse number 11. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore he said, ye are not all clean. What he's speaking about is Judas Iscariot. That Judas Iscariot, who we'll speak more in length tonight, is part of this party here. He is part of the 12 disciples. And Jesus Christ is not fooled by Judas one little bit. That Judas may fool the brethren. He may fool everyone else. But he has not fooled Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ knows who has come and accepted him as Savior. He knows who is saved and who is not. And that Judas has been doing a good job of hiding for the last three years. But Jesus knows exactly who was saved and who was not. And so he said, hey, you're all washed clean. But not all. And he knows that Judas has not been accepted. Jesus Christ, the offer for Jesus' blood to wash him clean. That Judas is still filthy in his sins. Dead in trespasses and sin. He has not passed from death unto life. And Jesus knows who's saved and who is not. You understand, even today, there may be someone who's playing church. What do we mean by that? That you show up and you say the right things. You've learned the vocabulary. You learn how to say the right things at the right time. You learn how to smile. You learn how to carry your Bible. You know how to look the part. You may even have a Christian culture, but just because you have a Bible doesn't mean you're saved. Just because you're a member of a church doesn't mean that you're saved. Just because you call yourself a Christian doesn't mean that you're saved. Just because your parents were religious doesn't mean that you're saved. That each individual person must personally accept the free gift that God has offered them for their forgiveness of sins. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That whosoever is that individual to accept that free gift. That a prayer doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. Amen. You're just giving him permission to accept that gift. That you're just reaching out and accepting that gift. What he has already done for you. And you understand there are many people who may play church. And you may fool the preacher. You may fool your wife. You may fool everyone else. But you are not fooling God. And let me tell you that in the example of Judas... Judas never got saved. And what a horrible waste that was to listen to Jesus' teachings for three years and not get saved. To have invitation after invitation given and never receive that gift that Jesus Christ offered for them. What an awful thing it was. But as Jesus Christ is teaching his disciples, he asked the question, know ye, not, know ye what I've taught you? Know what I'm teaching you? Know what I do for you? And the first thing he's teaching them that they'll be able to look back and understand in 2020 hindsight a little bit later is the teaching of sanctification. There's a second teaching that he teaches in this passage. Not only the teaching of sanctification, but he also has the teaching on serving others. A teaching on serving others. Now, as you compare the gospel records, you could see in the gospel record of Luke that right before this event happens, the disciples were in the midst of a discussion. What was the discussion? They were in a fight about who was going to be greatest in the kingdom of God. I'm going to be number one in heaven. In the millennial kingdom, that's me. I'm going to be the boss. Nuh-uh, I serve Jesus better than you. Nuh-uh, I'm better than you. And they're fighting with one another. By the way, this isn't a unique fight. Jesus has to stop them every now and again. Stop, stop, stop. 
Well, once again, he's trying to teach them this principle here because they just got through fighting. Who's going to be the greatest? Well, fine. Jesus now humbled himself. He put on a servant's clothes. He washed all of their feet. When he is done, he goes, changes clothes, sits back down, and notice as we pick it up in verse number 12. So after he, that's Jesus, washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you. Now after Peter, probably no one said anything for a while. I meant, what would you say if you were there? They just kind of watched and it was a little bit uncomfortable to watch Jesus wash their feet. And they watched as Jesus went, changed clothes, came back. He sat down and they're all, they don't want to say anything first. And Jesus just looks at him and says, do you know what I did? You know what I just tried to teach you? Do you understand yet? Notice as we pick it back up, Jesus continues with that thought in verse 13. Ye call me master and Lord, and ye say, well, for so I am. May I take a little break really quick and put a little parenthetical statement? It is very interesting that throughout the word of God, nobody call, uh, nobody calls Jesus, Jesus. Now it said that in the text, but when you look at what people are saying, nobody calls him Jesus. You know what they call him? Rabbi, teacher, Lord, and master. So whenever they would refer to Jesus, they would say master, Lord, rabbi. They never just called him in the common term, the familiar term, Jesus. They always said Lord and master. It's just an interesting tidbit. But this is what this verse is referring to. That Jesus is going back and said, you call me as the title. When you refer to me, you call me master. You call me Lord. And rightfully so, I am Lord and master. But notice as he continues with that thought in verse 14. If I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet... Ye ought to wash one another's feet. Why? Verse 15. I have given you an example that ye shall do as I've done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than the Lord, neither is he that is sent greater than he that sent him. So Jesus is now teaching and says, all right, I just washed your feet. Am I the boss? Am I the Lord master? Yes, sir. Then if I'm the boss, if I'm the, your Lord and your master, and I stoop down to wash your feet, you should follow my example and be servants to other people. You know, the one thing about our pride is that we like everyone to recognize how great we are, how smart we are, how intelligent we are, that this one area over here, that's me. This one over here, yeah, that's me. And you want to know what I did? But Jesus is not looking for any of that. He is looking for just servants. He's looking for people to serve one another without the applause. You know, there are some people that will do something. Hey, pastor, I pulled that dandelion out of the ground. Yay! Good job. And they're looking for the praise and the accolades. They're looking for, hey, look how great I am. Hold your finger here and let's look and see how Jesus was referred to. No, hold your finger here and turn with me to the book of Philippians chapter 2. The book of Philippians chapter 2, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, <coughs> and then we come to the book of Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Keep going. We're looking for the book of Philippians, <coughs> Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Uh, Philippians chapter number 2, 
Philippians chapter number 2. In verses two, or verses 1 through 3, it says the phrase, mine, being of one mind, being of like-minded. And it's talking about the mind of Christ. Jump with me in verse number 5 for brevity's sake. Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So let's have the mind of Christ. What was Christ like? Verse number 6. Who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. So here it's talking theologically. Was Jesus Christ God? Yes. Was it taken away from God's deity when you called Jesus God? No, it is not. He is God. It was not robbery. So Jesus is God. Jesus made everything. It was at his command that creation was spoke. So he's deserving of all glory, of all power, of all honor. Correct? So notice with me as it says here. Verse 6, he is God. But verse 7, but made himself of no reputation. We hate that phrase. No reputation. Because we all want to be recognized. We all want the good job. We want that attaboy. We want that thumbs up. But Jesus said he made himself of no reputation. And took upon him the form of a servant. And made himself in the likeness of men. And being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself... And became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus Christ made himself of a servant and said, I'm here to serve others, even to the cross. Where is your level of service? Well, I only serve God if they give me pizza. I only help somebody if it's something's in it for me. Are you willing to serve others and the Lord? Even if you get nothing from it? Even if it costs you something? Are you willing to serve God? Even if you have to humble yourself and serve someone that you think you're better than? That's what Jesus did. Is Jesus better than man? You bet. But he fashioned himself and humbled himself as a servant. And he served others. So as Jesus is working with his disciples, what he's trying to teach them is that the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, which he says later on, is not how big of a ministry you have, how big of a kingdom you build. It's how many people you serve. How many people you serve. Found, find someone to serve and help them. Take someone from where they are and bring them to the next level. Serve them, even if you think it's demeaning. You know, it's amazing when toilets are plugged. It's someone else's job. What's wrong with cleaning the toilet? Do it for the Lord. Serving the Lord, vacuuming, finding something to do, picking up a piece of paper that's on the floor instead of walking over and hope someone else. You understand? Little things matter. Instead of picking up the piece of paper, I got this, don't worry about it. And I say that tongue in cheek, but you know that there are people that do that. To make yourself of no reputation, taking upon you the form of a servant. You understand that in a household in the ancient world, that the person who washed someone else's feet, that task was usually given to the lowest ranking servant within the household. The new person. The, the person that was not as good at everything else as someone else. And yet Jesus took that position, the lowliest servant, and washed feet. Now I don't know about you, but I hate feet. They're stinky and nasty and I just I can't stand them. 
I don't like sandals. I don't like people showing off. I just don't. You say you're crazy. Yeah, that's one of my idiosyncrasies. It's not a doctrine. It's just I don't like it. And so to me, Jesus taking time and washing someone's dirty, nasty, rotten, filthy feet. Imagine you're walking all the time in sandals out there with rocks getting in, how calloused and hard they are. Bunions, everything. And Jesus washing them and glad to do so. That's the form of a servant. This is the teaching that Jesus has done. He's done teaching on sanctification. He taught a spiritual lesson through this physical means. But he is also teaching the idea of serving others through the example that he has. If you don't mind, there's one last thing in the gospel record of John chapter 13 that Jesus Christ teaches here. That he teaches them the idea of serving others. But then he goes in John chapter 13. He teaches them on scriptural fulfillment. Scriptural fulfillment. Notice if you don't mind as we pick it up in verse number 18. John 13 verse 18. I speak not of you all. I know whom I've chosen. But that the scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Now at this time, the disciples did not have any clue that Judas Iscariot was a traitor. Did Jesus know the whole time? Yes. Did it catch him by surprise? No. You know, that's a wonderful teaching. We'll talk more about this tonight. But you know that Jesus never treated Judas any differently than the rest of the disciples? He treated him just the same. Even though he knew he was going to be a traitor. How would you do if you knew someone was going to backstab you? Would you be good at treating them like everyone else? Jesus didn't treat them any different. And the disciples had no clue. So Jesus is trying to teach them that Jesus knew who was going to betray him all the time. And they're not going to understand this now. Judas leaves right shortly after this. And the disciples think it's normal. Judas is just doing another task. It's normal. It's good. They have no clue that he's going off to go rat Jesus out. They have no clue that he's going to go talk to the chief priest. He have no clue that he's going to lead an army of people to go arrest Jesus Christ. They have no clue because Jesus didn't hint at it whatsoever. But Jesus is giving them hints that I know and they're going to go back later on and say he knew. How come we didn't see it? Jesus knew. And this has already been fulfilled or prophesied in scripture. Verse 18 again. I speak not of you all. I know whom I've chosen. But that the scripture may be fulfilled. That he that eateth bread with me. Hath lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it came. That when it has come to pass. Ye may believe that I am he. What is he speaking about I am? Well, this is another phrase that uh, the Jewish people would understand that when Jesus says, I am, it carries the idea that he is God. That's one of the names of God. When Moses stood before Pharaoh and, and Moses, or stood before God at the burning bush, getting the instructions to go talk to Pharaoh, Moses said, who do I tell the people that you are? And Jesus said, I am that I am. The Jewish people would understand that phrase, I am, means the self-sufficient one. This is God. And Jesus said, I am he. I'm telling you this so you know without a doubt I'm God. I knew Judas was going to betray me. I knew it. Aren't you glad he didn't catch Jesus by surprise? 
He didn't go, oh, Judas, why could you do such a thing? He knew exactly what was in Judas's heart the whole time. But the disciples did not. But they're able to go back and look at the scriptures, look at the events, look at what Jesus did and said, wow, Jesus knew the whole time. And the Bible said this. How come we didn't see this? They were to tie this in to scripture, to tie them into the word of God, that the word of God is true. Every bit of it. That God knew exactly what he was talking about when he wrote it down. That Jesus knew exactly who was going to betray him at this time before it even happened. Judas is right there. Can you imagine Judas hearing that? I know which one are you I've chosen. I know who it is who's going to betray me. Ooh, wouldn't you hate to be Judas right then at that time? We'll talk more about that tonight. You need to come and see, hear more about what's going to happen. Verse number 20. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth whosoever I send receiveth me. And he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. Now there's a lot of pronouns in here, so let's decipher the pronouns. Verse 20. Verily, verily, I, this is Jesus, say unto you, the disciples, he that receiveth whosoever I send receiveth me. So this he here, this is more of an ambiguous he. It is someone that is receiving the word. So this is anyone, a whosoever. He that receiveth whomsoever I, Jesus, sendeth, send, receive me. So Jesus sends a representative to tell someone about the Bible. Someone sends to preach the Bible. Whoever accepts the messenger also accepts Jesus. You understand that when someone teaches a Bible message like this, if it's not my thoughts and not my opinions, it's what the Word of God says, that if you receive the messenger, you also receive Christ. He's telling this to the disciples. He's trying to prepare them because the enemies are getting ready to come. Judas is going to go get them in just a bit. And they need to know this teaching that there are some people who receive Christ. You know, when we go out and tell people about the Lord, when they reject the, the track, when they reject the gospel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Christ. It's all about him. When they accept the track, they're accepting uh, what Christ is, they're understanding that it's coming from the Lord. Does it make sense? They, they need to accept the truth and that it's not about the messenger, it's about God. Verse number 20 again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth whosoever I send receiveth me. And he that's at whosoever that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. That's God. That you understand that Jesus is the only way to get through God. John 14 is going to cover this. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man goeth to the Father but by me. There are not many roads to heaven. There is one. And it is through Jesus Christ. And if you want to get to know God, you get to know Jesus Christ. And if you want to get to know Jesus Christ, God, Jesus has sent messengers to take the Bible, not thoughts and opinions, but the Bible, and deliver it to people. And when you accept the message from the Bible, you are also receiving what Jesus has for you. When you receive what Jesus has for you, you learn more about God. And so again, Jesus knows what's going to happen. He knows the turmoil that the next several hours are going to bring. You understand that at this time, Within 12 hours, Jesus Christ is going to be arrested. 
He's going to put, be put on an illegal trial. He's going to be convicted and sentenced to death. He's going to be brought to the Romans so the Romans can, can legally kill him. The Jewish people didn't have power to kill Jesus. They had to bring it to the government. The Roman government is going to try them uh, and, and scourge him and beat him within 12 hours. He is going to be sentenced. The crowd is going to say, crucify him, crucify him. Then Jesus Christ is going to be nailed to the cross in about 16 hours time from now. Jesus knows this. And he's trying to prepare the disciples for what is ahead. And for the next several chapters, he's going to do some more preparing. But in order to start this off, he has chosen to use a physical illustration to teach them three things. To teach them about sanctification. That they need to keep their feet clean. They need to be, keep short accounts with God. He's teaching them about the idea of serving others. That I'm leaving, but I'm trying to tell you, your job is to serve others. That when I leave from here, this is what I expect you to do, to serve others. And he said, I'm also teaching you about scriptural fulfillment. You can trust God's word. Depend upon God's word and give God's word to others. This is your job. I'm leaving, but I'm leaving you this teaching that you keep it in your mind. That you could be prepared because things are about to change. And as we come to this, we understand that there are three things that the Lord Jesus Christ was teaching. If you don't mind, may we kind of see which ones apply to us. First of all, do you know for sure that Jesus Christ is your personal Savior? If you don't, let me tell you the greatest thing that we would have the privilege of doing is taking the Bible and showing you from the Bible how you can know without a doubt that Jesus Christ is your Savior. That without a doubt, your sins are forgiven. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have everlasting life, eternal life. You know, the verse before that, 1 John 5, 12, says this. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. How do I know that my sins are forgiven? Because I have Jesus. You understand, we could show you from the Bible how you can know without a doubt that heaven's your home, that you can have forgiveness of sins. After that, if you are saved, how do we apply this place of sanctification? Keep your feet clean. Keep short accounts with God. 1 John chapter uh, 1, verse 9. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Keep short accounts with God. As we come to the idea of serving others, we all need that reminder. Because we all get to the place where we want to be the greatest. We want everyone to recognize how great we are. And we get in their flesh and we throw a little hissy fit when people don't recognize how great our advice is. How great and amazing our ideas are. Oh, how much we do for this and that. That's our all flesh. We need to serve others. Even without the pat in the back. Are you willing to serve others? We need that reminder that it's not about us. We're supposed to serve others. And with the last reminder to teaching about scriptural fulfillment, the Bible can be trusted. And that we're just supposed to deliver the word of God to other people. That it's the word of God that works. And if they reject the word of God, they reject the message, they're not rejecting us. They're rejecting Christ. But if they receive the message, they're also receiving what Christ has given to them. And if they receive Christ, they also receive God. That we're just trying to give them the words. And this is important for the disciples because they need to know that they're not supposed to take it personally. 
It's all about the Lord. They're just supposed to be servants and deliver what God has given unto them. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.